0: This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. The Meanwhile in Memphis radio show and podcast are brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Rebecca Daly, and Jamie Bowler Raup. Joining us in the studio today are Stephanie Sacco and Michaela Arguin, who were recently named as New Memphis Educators of Excellence. Stephanie is a kindergarten teacher at Idlewild Elementary and is beginning her eighth year as an early childhood educator in Memphis. Michaela is a Teach for America 2020 Corps member and a new Memphis Stride alum. She taught three years of kindergarten at Holmes Road Elementary School and is moving forward to found the kindergarten team at Believe Memphis Academy Charter School. Please join us in welcoming Stephanie and Michaela to the studio. Welcome to the studio, Stephanie and Michaela. We're going to get started getting to know you first. So, Stephanie, could you give us a little bit of background on yourself, how you became an educator and what your work looks like today?
1: Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I'm Stephanie Sacco. Uh, I'm a kindergarten teacher in Memphis. This is my eighth year. Uh, in the classroom. I taught first grade for a couple years in the middle, but kindergarten is my favorite grade. Um, I came to teaching in a little bit of a roundabout way. Um, I was actually interested in becoming a lawyer, and I was looking for ways that I could pay for law school, and Teach for America was one of the ways I thought I might be able to get a scholarship for law school. However, when I got placed in Memphis and started teaching kindergarten, I just fell in love with teaching, and I realized everything that I wanted to accomplish. Being a lawyer, I felt like I already was as being a teacher. And it just let me feel like I could see the results of my work happening every single day. And it was so rewarding to me that I decided that was what I wanted to do as my career. So I went to CBU and got my master's a few years ago. And um, my plan is to stay in the classroom and stay teaching kindergarten as long as I can. Right now, I'm a kindergarten teacher at Idlewild
0: Elementary. Wonderful, thank you, Michaela. How about you?
2: Yes, hi. I'm Michaela. This is my fourth year teaching kindergarten here in Memphis. Um, I came to teaching kind of in a similar way as Stephanie. I also joined Teach for America, but I joined it um, in the year 2020, so at the height of the pandemic. Uh, I was in Islamic civilization and societies major in college, so I studied Arabic and I traveled abroad to the Middle East. And I wanted to do that after graduation. But when the world shut down, I still wanted to pursue something that I thought was going to be worthwhile and interesting. And I've always loved working with kids. My mom is a kindergarten teacher, so I guess it's like kind of in my blood. Um, and I started teaching. I joined for America, and I haven't left. So I've been here ever since. I'm currently teaching at I Believe Memphis Academy Charter School. I was previously teaching at Holmes Road Elementary School, which is where I won um, the Educator of Excellence Award for
3: Wow, awesome. I love hearing uh, both of your different stories about how you came to education. So, you, you both work in early childhood education. Can you give us a little bit of a definition
1: of what constitutes early childhood? Is that defined by an age or a grade? I think it probably does vary based on the speaker. In my mind, and sort of at our school, we think of early childhood normally as being K or kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. However, there's as grades get more and more rigorous, there's definitely a push for um, second grade to become bunched in with third, fourth, and fifth grade in elementary school. So sometimes it's just kindergarten and first grade as early childhood as well. And then including pre-K and preschool and all the years before.
2: I definitely agree with that definition. Um, I I would say probably more pre-K First, um, kind of going off of what Stephanie is saying, in second grade now, there's a really big push for them to be considered a higher elementary school grade.
0: Thanks for that clarification. You both mentioned pre-K. Early childhood education has been noted by Urban Child Institute, the Brookings Institute, and more um, as being critical to uh, the development of an early learner why is there an intentional focus on early childhood education? And why is that especially important in Memphis?
2: I think it is so integral um, for all students to have like the best chance and the best possible start that they can have. Um, And starting them as young as possible in school, I think is so important. Um, Not only do they gain strong social emotional skills, coping skills, regulation skills, um, but just also like, as we said, since the grades are getting more rigorous uh, year after year, the kids are expected to know more. Um, Just giving them those tools as early as possible, I think is a huge um, benefit because the earlier that they can write their name, they can recognize letters, know their letter sounds, um, the earlier they can start to read and start to go from learning to read, from reading to learn. Um, And I think just like having that exposure again, like kindergarten is such a big year for social development, developing those skills of talking to people, sharing their emotions. And I think the earlier that they can do that and start interacting with other kids, I think is so uh, beneficial. Um, I think there is definitely like a noticeable difference in my classroom between students that have gone to pre-K and have had that previous exposure um, versus my students who are coming straight to kindergarten. Regardless, they do all end up in the same place at the end of the year, but I think the earlier and that they can get that exposure, the better, because um, I've only ever seen benefits from that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Um, I think sounds like we're both in favor of If possible, having as many kids attend pre-K before they come to kindergarten, because as we mentioned, um, it seems like each year our sort of demands academically on kindergarten students become a little bit more intense as we're trying to, you know, close the achievement gap and make sure that we really are teaching them everything we can. It oftentimes gives students a head start if they've already gone to a school before. If they've already worked on being away from their grownups a little bit and understanding about when it's important to eat your lunch and how it's important to get along with friends, because now the expectation when you begin kindergarten is that you take off running with learning letters and sounds and starting to learn how to read. There isn't as much time to focus on social emotional learning and community and how to be a great friend. We still have to do those things. And we always will have students in our class who haven't had the opportunity to go to pre-K. And just as Michaela said, it's our job to make sure they end up in the same place together at the end of the year. But we also know that a child's ability to read is going to be tied to their vocabulary that they're entering kindergarten with. And so when you're going to pre-K, or even if you're going to a daycare, or even if you're learning at your home, if you're doing explicit vocabulary instruction, if you're asking open-ended questions about books that you're reading together, it's going to set children up to be more successful because they'll be able to comprehend the words after they decode them.
0: Stephanie, you mentioned a lot of the benefits, and Michaela, you as well, of having access to these opportunities before children get to kindergarten, but can you help us understand what some of the barriers are that some of your learners may face that are preventing them from accessing some of these, you know, elements of success? Sure. Um, one barrier I would say is just
1: if your family is able to get you to a pre-K, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times there aren't as many. Public Public pre-K options. And so um, even if there are, you still have to have transportation to get your child there every day and to pick them up from there every day. Additionally, some parents are needing to be at work during this time. Um, Other parents might be new to the area and not know about school yet and are only sort of getting around to it once children are turning five and are thinking about being ready for kindergarten. Most parents are um, trying to do things at home all the time that are you know making kids think about the world around them and practicing. but at the same time, there are a ton of barriers that are outside of every child and every grown-up's control that still affect a children's ability a child's ability to be successful in kindergarten. They have to do with socioeconomic, uh, level, they have to do with being a part of a marginalized group, and they have to do with sort of the scarcity of uh, what I would say is really effective early childhood education, like in a Head Start program. Those aren't available to everyone everywhere, and they're trying to expand it as much as possible. But um, I would say those are just a few of the barriers that come to mind right away.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with Stephanie there. I think like the biggest barrier is access. Um, Even in Shelby County schools, not every single school has a pre-K. My old school did have a pre-K, but it was not offered to all the other like schools in the area. So all of the elementary schools in our one area would come to our one pre-K. But obviously that isn't... um, feasible or realistic for a lot of parents, because if their children are going to the other elementary school, that's closer to their house, they're not going to maybe be able to bring their child to a separate school for pre-K and pre-K also dismisses earlier than kindergarten, at least in from my experience. Um, and so that's another barrier too, because if you need to set up multiple pickup times, you can't be everywhere at once. So having multiple children does also impact that because you have multiple different things to make sure that, um, are falling in line and falling into place um so i definitely think a lack of like adequate pre-k programs um just like numbers wise is a huge barrier
1: yeah, and I would also say, um, structurally, there are things in place that sometimes make it not as valuable for elementary schools in Memphis to have pre-K. Um, it's difficult whenever you're doing a pre-K setting because there are a lot of regulations that are different from a to K-5 classroom, uh, specifically talking about ratio of adults to young learners when they're under the age of five. Additionally, pre-K numbers don't count towards a school's enrollment, which affects um. Which affects a lot of different things about the school and so when all of the elementary schools are making sort of decisions about where they can put their resources there aren't a ton of incentives in place for them to have a pre-k there's a lot of uh, barriers perhaps
3: so you've mentioned quite a few barriers and of course the biggest being access Um, what work do you see being done to create some solutions for these challenges or if you don't see it being done, what, what could you recommend?
2: As Stephanie mentioned, I definitely think the Head Start program, while again, not everywhere, I think is extremely beneficial. Um, and anywhere that they're trying to expand that program, I think is going to have enormous benefits um, for those school aged children. But I think at least... From my own experience from having a school that had pre-K, we did do a lot of um, reaching out and outreach, trying to recruit and enroll as many pre-K students as possible. Um, But other than that, I'm not quite sure how else we are to actively tackling the barriers at the moment.
1: Yeah, I I think there's definitely... um, a sentiment nationally that we support universal pre-k we support everyone having access to it it's just how to make that happen that is the difficulty and i think um anytime everyone's in favor of those macro ideas we can see how it would positively affect children at the same time though i think us working on the ground, we are sort of seeing those barriers more frequently than maybe working with people who are trying to change it. However, I do know, um, you know, I know a lot of the teachers who are working at Head Start in Memphis. There are schools that are in Memphis that offer pre-K, even though it might not benefit their school from enrollment, because they're trying to support the families that are at their school by making sure that all of their kids can come to school. All of their kids are able to get the childcare that they need during the day while their parents are working. And so I think on an individual school basis, there are certainly school leaders and school staff who are working to try to expand the access for that. I think um, it's just uh, maybe something that's a little bit slow moving because there are a lot of other things that take precedent over pre-K Um, when making decisions about education.
0: I'm curious, you mentioned universal pre-K and obviously we understand that there are time bound challenges and that's probably a slow turning ship, but could each of you share what you imagine could be the impact of our community having access to universal pre-K?
2: I think the benefits to having access to a universal pre-K um, would be instrumental in the ability that we would have to close achievement gaps that have been uh, existed and have existed in Memphis and have continued to grow because of the pandemic. Um, and I think we're still actively trying to recover from that um, with our test scores and with our student achievement. Personally, I know that at my current school, over 94% of our kindergartners came in, like, below grade level, like, already falling behind based on our diagnostic assessments. Um, And so, just knowing that we are already starting, like, behind where we were expected to start um, is challenging. You know, it shows that we have so much more to do, so much more growth to do. And if students have that access to universal pre-K, I think they would be able to focus a lot more like Stephanie said, on the social emotional learning, the things that we don't have time for necessarily um, throughout our day in kindergarten. And I think just like having those basic exposures to being with other kids, being away from their parents um, before they have to jump into a rigorous academic setting that is kindergarten um, would be so immensely beneficial to everyone in Memphis.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And I think in a perfect world, it would be that... Every child, wherever they were, could go to a neighborhood school that was close to their house where they could be cared for and watched during the day in a way that was based in play-based learning and discovery and exploration so that they were practicing um, using sentence stems, learning new vocabulary, answering thought-provoking questions, all while learning the sort of social-emotional skills that Michaela mentioned we have less and less time to do in kindergarten because of the added skills and rigor that are Um, sort of coming down that we need in order to try to close the achievement gap that's coming in when students are coming in behind. At the same time, getting there, I'm sure, you know, everyone knows, is it's nice to have rose-tinted glasses and think about like what we ideally want, but how to achieve it is always the question. I think first it's thinking about how to have pre-K that is free. And so how it can be funded, how they can make sure that they're attracting young people who want to become a pre-K teacher because they're interested in early childhood education. They're interested in sort of um, figuring out what's going inside, going on inside a young person's brain, which as a kindergarten teacher, a lot of us think that, I mean, a lot of people think that, you know, we're sort of like babysitters and we're here to watch them. But it is actually kind of... Um, it's kind of intellectually challenging to figure out what's going on inside of someone's brain when they can't articulate it to you. And so especially with pre-K and kindergartners, where they're not necessarily able to articulate their thought process or their learning, it's actually more difficult sometimes as a teacher, as a leader, to bring them up to where you're trying to get them to be by the end of the year. And so I think it also has to do with Um, recruiting more and more people to become pre-K teachers who are excited about the work and want to help to close the achievement gap, as well as making sure that there's access in every neighborhood and trying to figure out how to make it not cost money um, so that everyone can have access to it as well.
3: As we know, educators are innovators. So Stephanie, can you share a little bit with us about the role that music plays in your classroom?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, music became a big part of my classroom uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, And really, it was something where I was always trying to decide what would be a classroom theme that would make the kids so excited really buy into our community in the class and then on the other hand um coming to memphis and not being born in memphis one of the things that we were always really encouraged to do in teach for america is figure out how we can sort of ground our instruction in memphis and in the local community and help kids sort of see themselves in the classroom and so um i was originally thinking when i moved into my classroom that it would be cool to have a classroom that was sun studios themed. And that's because the walls in my classroom are yellow. And as I thought more about it, I realized just how valuable having a Memphis music theme could be. Um, And so that sort of spiraled into thinking then, well, how can I make sure that I'm getting Uh, More diversity in my classroom? How can I make sure that all the people we're studying are people of color? How can I make sure that all the people that we're learning about for our community are people from Memphis who look like my students? And it led me to coming up with the idea to have stacks records as our classroom theme. And uh, I tried it last year and it ended up being such an incredible unifier for our class. All the kids are going home and teaching their parents about Carla Thomas and Booker T and the MGs. And they're asking Alexa to play Otis Redding. And they're going downtown with their family and seeing like the BB King sign on Beale Street. And um, so it's just been something where one of my hobbies is sort of looking around YouTube for the raw footage of all of the performers. And then um, each morning we'll watch one video of a different performer. And that performer will also be the record of the week. And so we have a record of the week and we have a record player in the class where we'll do a different stacks artist each week. And so we'll watch them on YouTube, learn about their biographies, read read aloud books about them. If there are any available, a lot of times there aren't. And so, um, back to kind of having to innovate. Uh, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is just figuring out how to take the incredible history of Stax records and the political and economic and social movements in Memphis that were happening during the time of Stacks and making it appropriate for five-year-olds and six-year-olds so that they can be excited about where they're from and also get excited about music and the arts as well.
0: What an energizing experience for a classroom. <laughs> yeah yeah it's been it's been great
1: and um it all really stemmed from just the idea of having records as a decoration but then thinking the kids won't know what records are unless we actually have a record player and so from there it just sort of became um such a rewarding theme for me not only to see how excited the kids get but also for me to be hunting down lots of stacks records every time i'm at a thrift store or um now i have students you know who are who are asking for their parents to take them to goner Records so they can look through and try to find a record of their own or asking for a record player for Christmas. And so um, it ended up just being something that was clearly such a perfect choice for the class and something that I want to keep doing for a long time.
0: That's an incredible level of community connection and, you know, the The way in which you are bringing energy into the classroom, um, which is so often a space that you know could lend itself to being full of stress and challenges. Um I'm curious. um I'm going to ask each of you, and we'll we'll start with you, Michaela. What keeps you energized in your role? We understand that education has a really high level of burnout and would love to understand, you know, what within the classroom is energizing you as well as what in the community is energizing you.
2: I think number one answer for me is my students. Um. They just bring so much, like, light and joy into my life, even on, like, the most difficult days. Like, they are just so happy to be at school. They love being at school. Um, They are just so sweet. Like, at the age of five, they, like, always are telling me that I'm the best teacher ever and just, like, hyping me up even when I don't feel like the best teacher ever. Um, But, like, they believe in me so much. I believe in them so much. And I think that's, like, so powerful. I think that's something that's so great about kindergarten is that they are so excited to learn and they just like love being at school. And so I really like lean into the fun and like their joy um, and try and make everything as fun as possible. We celebrate like every single holiday. We today we did like an apple tasting. We picked our favorite apples to celebrate fall and they're doing to the pumpkin patch on Friday and we're going to dissect their pumpkins and see how many seeds are in them. And just like really just like leaning into like the fun and joy of being five years old um, and making it like educational at the same time. Um, So definitely my students keep me energized. I love them so much. Like, my last class last year, I made such a special connection with them. Um, I met them at the park um, after their first week of first grade. Um, And we all hung out at the park and had snacks and we played on the playground together. And I talked to them about like first grade and like their new teacher Um, and they still text me and like I'll text them happy birthday and call them on their birthdays. Um, So just like those connections that I know like will last much longer than like the 180 days that they're in my classroom, definitely like keep me going. And also just like seeing their growth and celebrating their wins, like coming in, not being able to write their name to like writing a sentence and like reading at the end of the school year um, is definitely like what keeps me going on like the hard days. Like I know it'll be so worth it. and It's just like so rewarding and meaningful to be a part of their lives. Um, I know everyone remembers like their kindergarten teacher. So while that's a lot of pressure, um, it's also like an honor to be their kindergarten teacher. Like. I'll always remember them and they'll always remember me. Um, And I think that definitely keeps me energized and keeps me going. Um, And just like being involved with their families, having their siblings, um, just like being involved in the community. Like I said, going to the park with them, hanging out with them, um, like hanging out with their parents and just getting to know who they are. Like I got invited to a birthday party today for this weekend. Um, Just, yeah, just my students and their families keep me going. (laughs) Stephanie, what about you?
1: I would definitely say that's my number one thing too. I think kindergarten is the ideal grade for both of us because it sounds like we get uh, most of our energy from the excitement and joy of our students. And that is unique to kindergarten. Uh, The tougher school gets, I think the harder it is to keep that joy about learning. And so I often say our goal in kindergarten is to make them fall in love with school because as school gets trickier, it's... um, more difficult to stay in love with it, I think. And so um, really tapping into their joy and excitement. And it's about everything, every single thing we do, no matter what, even if it seems to me that it might be a boring topic or a boring text, they are excited and proud to show what they've learned. And I think doing this job while also knowing how, crucial early childhood education is to a child's later success in school also kind of lights a fire under me that excites me and makes me feel like I have to work my absolute hardest because I have to make sure that every one of my students is on grade level or as close to being on grade level or above by the end of the year as I can get them because I do know that these years are the most important years. And so it makes me not want to relax or, you know, finish early because I'm thinking about all 24 of my incredible kiddos and their families who I'm making really important connections with. So it makes me want to work harder for them every time as well. Um, And then of course, I'll just say stacks also has been um, just something that's made me excited, more excited to come and chat with them because I'm getting to talk about my favorite things they're getting to see me be really excited about music, but then they're getting inspired to start having their own hobbies and whether or not that has to do with music. I think they just see that I'm sharing something personal with them and that makes them feel really comfortable sharing more personal things with me. And so um, it was exciting for us to go on a field trip at the end of the year to stacks and see all of them seeing What we've been learning about all year right in front of them and figuring out how close Stax is to Idlewild, five minutes away. And um, we got to go on a field trip to WIXR in Crosstown and we got to go to the listening lab and so that they could dance and hear some of the vinyl records there from Stax. And so um, all of those things just make it so rewarding to see their smiles and see how excited they are about everything that we do. And I think that is unique to kindergarten.
3: Thanks so much for sharing some of the things that bring you joy in your work and that motivate you Um, It's energizing to hear about it. A question for you, Michaela. So you are helping to found the kindergarten team at Believe Memphis Academy charter school. What has that shift been like for you?
2: It's definitely been a big adjustment. Um, We are all starting from ground zero. My team is absolutely wonderful. Um, All of us have had some sort of kindergarten or first grade experience because we're also founding a first grade. Um, and I think it's also it's exciting, but also kind of like scary because we are setting the precedent of this program and how it's going to run, hopefully for a very long time. Um, and I think it's also just like exciting to start new traditions and start new things that are like really exciting. Um, and it definitely like, keeps me energized and gives me like a bigger sense of purpose more than I already had teaching kindergarten uh, because we are like setting the example for the years to come. Um, so again, like we're starting the tradition of going to the pumpkin patch and doing a pumpkin unit every year. Um, we're trying to figure out how are we going to balance responding to kindergarten level behaviors versus eighth grade behaviors because we are working our way to becoming a K-8 And how is that going to look? Um, how are we going to, how are we going to adjust expectations so that they are universal across the school, but also, um, cater to the five-year-olds versus the 14-year-olds that are also walking in the building. Um, And so that's definitely been like a really big challenge, but also something that has been exciting because I think that this work is so important. um, And the fact that I am able to start a whole program um, and work together as a team to try our best to figure out um, the best thing that for this school is really exciting.
0: Thank you for the work that you're doing to innovate and grow education in Memphis. Um, Both of you are doing such impactful work and your leadership is really shining so much so that you were recently named as, both of you were named as 2023 New Memphis Educators of Excellence. Um, We are so excited to celebrate you and congratulate you for this honor, Um, but we'd really like to, to hear from you what it means to be named an educator of excellence. And I'm curious also what advice you would give to an educator who is seeking excellence, particularly new educators. Stephanie, could we start with you?
1: Sure, Um, yeah, I'll start with the advice. I th- the advice that I always give to new teachers is the only difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher is a good teacher just keeps coming back every day and trying their best. Um, and I think, like, that's obviously a generalization, but what it really means is a teacher just has to be able to shake off what happened that day and come back and try again. And I really think that we worry a lot when we're first becoming teachers that you can't undo a lesson if you accidentally teach it wrong. You can't undo something if you make a mistake, but you actually can. Um, Your classroom really becomes a community and you can come back the next day and say, yesterday I had a whoopsie, we're going to redo it this way. And I think if you treat them like you are part of the same community and try to treat them sort of like they're mini adults. We know they're five-year-olds, but this is the place where I'm trying to teach them that I am giving them respect. I'm giving them independence. I'm asking them to rise to these high expectations and I'm treating them like they're big kindergartners now. They're not babies anymore. And when you do that sort of thing, it makes them reach to a higher level, even when it feels like things are so chaotic and falling apart and there are fires all around you, which normally is how teaching feels, but I think it's just about coming back the next day and trying your hardest, even when you really don't want to. Um, I would say for winning the award, it's been such an incredible honor. I still can't believe that I was even nominated much less, um, one, but I think there are so many educators who are excellent around Memphis. There are so many educators who are excellent at my school at Idlewild. And so I would just say, um, to anyone who is seeking excellence just keep trying if you just keep trying the more and more you do it it's going to become second nature and eventually the things that seem impossible will become possible as long as you can stick with it and i know that's easier said than done but for those who are really passionate about it and can battle it out i think just knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel um maybe after three years or four years or five years Um, where you'll really feel like, okay, now I'm actually, I've got this now and I know what to expect and I can keep moving forward. And I think when I first started teaching, I felt like that would never happen. But now I can say, I I think it has. I definitely feel chaos and I definitely feel stressed every day when I go home from school. But again, sort of like the joy of kindergarten and our grade makes it worth it to come back the next day.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Going off of what Stephanie said, I think like finding the small victories in every single day is so important because not every day is going to be excellent. Not every day is even going to be good. Sometimes there are going to be hard and challenging days, but finding those little small moments of victory, even if it's just that, oh, my student remembered to put her name on her paper today for like the first tell her she just did on her own. Like finding those little small moments to show that to yourself that what you're doing is important and valuable, um, I think is what will keep you going, especially at the beginning when it's so overwhelming and stressful. You have no idea what's going on and you have to make it look like you do. Um, And just kind of rolling with the punches. And I think another thing that goes with that is like being consistent I think it is so important in every level of the classroom to have consistency, to be consistent in your routines that you put in place, what you ask students to do, how you ask students to do it, how they line up every day, how they sit on the carpet, like just those basic expectations, I think can make your life so much easier, especially as a new teacher. Um, Additionally, being consistent in like your reactions to students is going to help build your trust with them and build your classroom community. Like if you are consistently responding to the same behaviors in the same way, regardless of the student or how many times that behavior has happened, it will help with your behavior problems immensely. Um, It'll also help like your students build a rapport with you and trust with you. And I think also them being able to know exactly what to expect every day when they come into your classroom and how it feels to be in a safe and loving environment um, impacts the overall experience of kindergarten immensely, Um, and I think that can be said across all grade levels, so that's definitely my advice that I would give, so finding the small victories, consistency, and our school's motto this year is beat yesterday, and honestly, I love that so much, because Even if you come in and you do like something 1% better or you do, you switch something up and make it 1% better than the day before, you're still beating yesterday. You're still striving to be a better teacher each and every day, even if it's like the smallest thing. Like I remember to change the date this morning on the calendar, you know, like just beating yesterday, finding the small victories, I think is really important, especially as a new teacher. Um, and as far as what it means to me to meet when the educator of excellence award, as Stephanie said, like, I think it is an incredible honor. I still like, am kind of in shock. Like I kind of had like imposter syndrome at the award ceremony because I am like the person the one of the youngest people to win the award this year and also one of the newest in education and so I was like kind of shell-shocked that I even had this opportunity um and so I think it's an incredible honor and it definitely has kept me motivated and energized and um it kind of like confirms in me that like teaching is not only my passion, but it's what I'm really good at doing. And it's what the world needs me to do right now is teaching kindergarten. Um, And so just like continuing in that journey um, and seeing where it takes me.
3: A question for both of you, this time starting with Michaela, what makes you hopeful about being an educator in Memphis?
2: I think what makes me hopeful, well, there's so many, but again, going back to just like my students um, and seeing them thrive in first grade and beyond um, and just seeing them continue to grow has really made me so hopeful. Like every year I get to see them move up and be big first graders and big second graders and like see them continue to perform well on their assessments and just grow and thrive um, based off of like the foundation that we created in kindergarten. I think that is so important and so special Um, and just like watching them come back to me and showing me like the stories that they could read. And now that I'm in a new school, that doesn't happen, but I, my parents are still, the parents are still reaching out to me and texting me and saying like, so-and-so read her very first Pete the cat story on her own today. Like she's so excited. Um, and she wanted to send you a picture and a video Um, just those things make me so hopeful for Memphis and the community that we're growing here. Um, in my kindergarten classroom and just pushing them on to brighter, bigger and better things in the future. And I just like can't wait to see what they continue to accomplish as they get older.
1: So I think when I think about what gives me hope, uh, it also will always come back to the kids. Uh, every year, I have an incredible class with so many incredible personalities and so many passions and so many interests. And when I see how much they love reading. When I see how proud they are to write their first sentence or to do their first experiment or to explore, it brings me so much hope for what they're going to grow up to be. And I think my job is to try to help them, to help their grown-ups, basically put them in a situation where all of their biggest dreams for their kids Can become possible. I see myself as sort of the person who's here to be the caretaker of their kids during the day and to take what they wish for their kids and try to make it happen while they're at school. A lot of times that means their kids are on grade level or above grade level. Sometimes that is parents have goals for their kids to become a better friend, to have lots of different types of friends, to become more brave. Um, to become more honest, to become more principled. And I think every time one of these things happen, it instills me with so much hope. And I still come back to the idea that I think kindergarten is the grade that is the most full of hope because it is so easy as a teacher in kindergarten to see the changes happening right in front of you. And I also agree that having students come back later, watching them as they grow up, and then having them come back later when they are able to tell you about more intense trials and tribulations in their life than maybe um, what's making them sad when they're five years old, you can sort of see how that connection has lasted between you and your student, even after they've moved up into higher grades. And so that gives me hope as well that they'll always see me as a resource where they can come back and ask me for help for book selections, ask me for a letter of recommendation if they need help when they're going to a middle school or a high school, but also just to know that I'm someone who's always going to be in their corner and for their grownups to know as well that I'm going to be someone who's in the corner for their family. It gives me hope when families feel like they can open up to me and sort of ask me, um, for help in any way that they might need as well. And so I think it really just what brings me hope is the relationships I have with the kids and the relationships I get to have with their families as well.
0: It's so beautiful that you're building a culture of lifelong learning. And I'm curious if there is a classroom lesson, a kindergarten classroom lesson that we as grownups would benefit from having a bit of a refresher course in.
1: Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, I would say there are a ton, you know, um, at another school in Memphis that I know about, the kids do studies about different virtues every month. And the teachers and staff do studies about the same virtues every month. And I think that's a really good sort of picture of in a perfect world, we would all be talking about how to be a better friend people, how to be a better helper to people as grownups. And um, it's oftentimes our youngest kids that are thinking how to explicitly teach, how to be a great friend, how to be a great helper. But those are certainly things that would benefit a lot of grownups as well. I think really what it comes down to is, I think the most important lesson in kindergarten that could help a grownup is the idea that every kindergartner is trying to help out everyone else in their class. And I think um, there are certainly spaces in the community where that's how everyone is oriented as well. But in kindergarten, you can see how much they're bought into the idea that they just need to help each other because they're all in it together in the same class. And I think if we thought about that more, um, you know, within uh, streets, you um, Within neighborhoods together within um, communities like outside of schools and PTO organizations, if everyone felt like they needed to help a little bit more uh, when people are in need, obviously, that's a sort of rose tinted glass statement to say, but that's kind of the joy of kindergarten as well is, we do have the luxury of sitting back and thinking in a perfect world, how would we act? And that's a lot of times what our classroom becomes because of the structures that good kindergarten teachers put in place. You can make it so your kindergarten class is almost a perfect world where everyone's being kind to each other. And if not, then the community is asking them to fix their behavior and be kind next time so that they can continue to be a part of the community. And I think that is um, sort of a, a great thought, even if it's not necessarily totally possible for grown-ups.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, kind of going off of the same vein. I think, like, the most important lesson that we teach in kindergarten every single day is just being empathetic um, and understanding where, like, another person is coming from. Um, My students do that almost every single day. One of my kids, like, he broke his arm on the playground, and everyone in my class was so concerned about him so nervous for him so scared for him um and it was just like such like sweet little innocence when he like came back with his cast they were all like like looking at it and like trying to touch it like they were like oh my god does it hurt like they're just like so raw in their emotions and like their willingness like to help him like we made him like cards and just like they want to do everything for him like they're just constantly i can help you pick that up like i'll do this for you can i do his worksheet for him um just like little things like that are just like so sweet and innocent um and just like teaching them to like care deeply for others um i think is so important and i think all adults can learn from that as well. Just learning, you know what, like everyone's going through something and we're all trying to remember that and all trying to show empathy, give grace to each other. Um, Same thing with kindergarten. They're learning to give grace to each other when we have, when we have big emotions, when we have meltdowns, we're learning to give grace and empathy to that friend and trying to help them regulate their emotions again, teaching them, you know, it's okay to step away for a second and take a deep breath before we explode. Um, it's okay to take that time to settle down and reflect, um, and just bring yourself back together. Um, and I think sometimes in the world of adulthood, everything is like so fast paced and go, go, go. Um, it's nice to remember that it's okay to take a second to breathe. It's okay to take a brain break and do a dance break in the middle of something, you know, get your energy out. Um, and that's something that kindergartners are great at doing. So
1: yeah I, I actually I totally agree with you, Michaela. And I would just add on to that to say, um, because I've been teaching kindergartners for such a long time. To take a belly breath, put their hands on their tummy and count to 10 and feel their lungs fill up with air and then feel it as they're breathing it out, as they're calming down. I've started to do that myself when I'm upset and I'm at home. And that's something that I haven't done before since becoming a teacher. And so it's even benefited me as an adult, the way we teach emotional regulation in kindergarten and the way we teach calm down strategies. And I just completely agree, even as a teacher, sometimes things are going so fast. I now am using belly breaths as a way to sort of calm myself down and get ready for the day as well. And so it's cool to see how uh, kindergarten things that I've taught have also benefited me in the long run, too.
0: Jamie and I are taking furious notes (laughs) to make sure we are, you know, thinking back to these, what seem like basic lessons, but they are so significant and you're doing such important work in your classrooms to build that from an early age. And I'm just, I'm so inspired and energized by the way you're able to apply something for a little learner as well as a lifelong learner. So thank you for sharing that with us. Before we wrap up our conversation today, I'd love to understand how we as a community can better support early childhood education, whether that's as individuals going to voting booths or ways that we can advocate as a community or opportunities for us to volunteer, get involved and support in new and different ways. Michaela, could you share a little bit about how we can help support that from your perspective?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think. Going to vote and advocating um, and doing all of that higher level um, advocacy is so important. But like on the nitty-gritty like day-to-day level, if you have any books lying around in your house from like your kids that they don't use anymore, like donating them to classrooms, like early readers, like just giving the students that opportunity to take those books home um, and being able to share that with their families, I think is like so exciting in a way that builds, helps to build literacy. Just even b- possibly volunteering at schools, we could always use an extra hand if you have somebody, at a little cousin, a neighbor, and you like know that they are in kindergarten, trying to volunteer, become involved in their school, or like, just dropping off like little treats maybe to encourage the teachers and the students. Um, just really also every single Monday through Friday, there are little kindergartners trying to learn and doing their best um, and just trying to think of ways to support them um whether that be helping clear amazon wish list of teachers like i said donating books supplies um we always need some more crayons and pencils in kindergarten um to encourage that learning um i think is really beneficial
1: i completely agree with you as well and i think it also goes back to um one thing that's at the most basic i think is just remembering when you're thinking about teachers, when you're thinking about your child's teacher, when you're thinking about teachers in your community, just thinking about how every teacher's heart is in the right place and every teacher is trying as hard as they can to make their students and their class successful. And so I think the way that we teach kindergartners to give each other grace, we can also try to give teachers grace when possible because it's more and more becoming nearly an impossible job and it's really difficult to juggle all the demands of it. Um, so I think supporting teachers in every way you can, and it seems like the Memphis community does that in large part. And, um, it also just comes back to continuing to advocate, to expand quality education access to everyone. So voting for the people who are supportive of universal pre-K, um, making sure that, the representatives that you're supporting are someone who wants to keep funding schools, keep making sure that we're attracting quality teachers to schools. And also, as Michaela said, donating time or donating things to schools and to support teachers. Um, I think those are really the most important things, regardless of how a teacher is doing over the course of the entire year. I think small uh small actions that show appreciation can really make a huge difference in finding the joy that we start teaching with and making it feel like you're accomplishing something and you're wanting to come back every day and keep working hard for it.
0: Stephanie and Michaela, thank you again for the ways that you are working to build a brighter and stronger future for our community through education. We're so grateful for the time and effort that you and all the educators like you in Memphis are committing to take care of our littlest learners and our lifelong learners. Um, So with this, we will bid you goodbye and just thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us.
2: Yes. Thank you so much. This was a great opportunity.
0: Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.